<laughs> I think he was going to sing another solo. Did you want to sing something? Oh, my bad, man. I missed it, bro. You got your Bible. Say amen. Go ahead and open it with me to John's Gospel. And listen, if you're visiting with us, we've been going through Luke's Gospel verse by verse. And uh, so we're going to take a break on this Sunday alone. And uh, we'll jump back in that particular gospel next week as we look in Luke's gospel chapter 11. I can't wait for that, so make sure that you make plans to attend as we talk about how to upgrade your prayer life. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. But this morning, I want to talk to you on the subject, the great I am. So John's gospel chapter 8, verse 58. If you've got that in front of you, say amen. And uh, stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. John 8 and 58. Uh, Jesus, and notice what the scripture says, Jesus said to them, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Uh, what does your Bible say? I want you to fill this blank in. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Make sure that rings true this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would apply this scripture to our hearts as we learn this morning together who the great I am is. And I pray now for a clarity of mind an opportunity for us to single our heart's devotion on what you would desire to speak to us this morning. And God, I pray that it would generate within us a heart of thanksgiving that overflows uh, throughout the entire week and, of course, our entire lives. And Lord, I do pray that we remain thankful for who you are and all that you have done for us. And this morning, in Jesus' name, draw people to yourself, encourage believers, and then challenge us as we prepare to leave here and go out for ministry's sake. And it's in your holy name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. Well, as he held tightly to his staff, he could hear the bleeding of his father-in-law's sheep. Traveling west to find greater pasture for the flock, he stood as a small dot on the canvas of God's creation beside the great mountain of Horeb. Horeb was known as the mountain of God. His eyes were watching intensely the flock as he guided them, as he cared for them, protected them, and even provided them. However, the familiar scene of green pastures and pure coats of the sheep was interrupted by something that he had never seen before. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw a flicker. As he adjusted his eyes and used his hand to fight back the glare of the sun, he saw for the very first time something which could only be described as astonishing. He quickly began to run in the direction of the flicker that he might better investigate what he was actually seeing. Well, it was a bush that was on fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. As if that wasn't enough to startle his mind and send him into a state of shock, a voice then came forth from the bush. And one could only imagine which would have been more breathtaking, the heat of the flame piercing his skin or the sound of the voice entering into his ear. The voice cried out, Moses, Moses. And from the burning bush, God spoke and he commanded Moses to enter Egypt and tell Pharaoh to set free the people of God who were in captivity. Now, this was a tall order for a single shepherd tending his father-in-law's sheep. But he mustered the courage to talk back to the burning bush, as awkward as that may have seemed. Well, who will I say sent me with such a demand of the greatest man on the earth, the Pharaoh? And when I say God sent me to tell you, Pharaoh, to let his people go, even your people, the sons of Israel, are going to think I've lost my mind and they will wonder what is happening. They'll look at me and say with great doubt, who is this God that you speak of? What is his name? Why should we believe you? Well, God spoke to Moses from the bush and responded, I am who I am. You shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
Now, we've not fully understand, nor did Moses fully understand, who this great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really was until he came to the earth and expressed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, showing you and I who indeed the great I am is. You know, God came in the person of Jesus Christ to deliver his people from sin's bondage. Jesus would tell us, I am the great I am. And Jesus made that statement in John's Gospel 8 and verse 58, and you can see it there in your Bible again, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. But who is this great God who gives us the name I am? You know, it begs the question of logical human beings this morning. When you say I am, what does that mean you are? I am what? And I want to suggest to you this day that the answer to that one question is what motivates us to live a life of genuine thanksgivingness towards the Lord. So John's gospel, it unveils the answer to the question of who the great I am is. And how does it do that throughout John's gospel? Well, we see that Jesus actually gives us seven I am statements in the gospel of John. And so we could ask it this way this morning, who is the great I am? And we're going to find that out together today. Well, his eyes were consumed with a large crowd which had begun to follow him. He nudged Philip on the shoulder and asked him a question, where are we to buy bread so that all these people can eat? Philip, the always resourceful and administrative-minded man, looked at the people and gave a hard factual layout of the situation. Well, Jesus, I would say that we have some 200 denarii, which is the equivalent of about eight months' worth of work, and that wouldn't even be enough for everyone here to get just a little bit of food. Philip scratched his forehead while aching over the arithmetic, and then he heard Andrew pop up with a word. Hey, fellas, this kid over here just found him. He's got five barley loaves and a couple of fish. Yet you can imagine he had to have chuckled in his own heart as he thought to himself, a lot of good five barley loaves and two fish will do with all of these people. Then the calming voice of Jesus brought peace to the souls of his disciples as he said, have the people sit down and bring the food to me that you do have. So he took the bread and the fish and he held it up to the heavens and the Bible says that he blessed it. And then they began to hand out the food. And much to their surprise that day, the food multiplied as they handed it out. They couldn't get rid of all of the food. Every single hunger pain was subsided that late evening as the people celebrated over the miracle that they had just witnessed. Shortly after this, as the people continued to follow Jesus, he said to the crowds, the only reason you're following me is because I have given you a free meal. You shouldn't follow me because I'm going to give you food which doesn't last. You should follow me because I have food which lasts for all of eternity. And then the hungry crowd said, well, give us a sign. Let us know that God has sent you to us. Moses fed our people with bread from heaven. And then Jesus corrected them. No, it wasn't Moses who fed them, but my Father who is in heaven. The bread you need comes down from heaven, and it gives life to the entire world. And almost in unison, you can hear the people say, well, give us that bread. That's the bread we desire. Jesus then begins to explain who the great I am truly is. Here in this text, in John 6 and 35, he says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. The growling of your stomach and my stomach in need of food is an earthly picture of the growling of our souls in need of God. The small piece of bread can satisfy your stomach only temporarily. The hunger continues to return. But the bread of life 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the great I am, has the ability to completely and perfectly satisfy the hunger of your soul. And when you taste him, your soul's hunger is quieted, your soul's thirst is quenched, and your heart is thankful for the great I am. And so the Bible challenges you and I to taste and see that indeed the Lord, he is good. If you've come into God's house this morning and you're hungry physically, let that remind you of your spiritual hunger. And if you have not come to know the Lord God, you can indeed come to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And those of us who have tasted and seen the Lord is good, we have been redeemed. We are now members of the New Testament church. And all of us have something to be thankful for because God came from heaven to feed us. Well, he could feel his mother's touch, but was unable to see her hand. He could smell the roasting of the lamb, but he was unable to see the ornately decorated table. He could taste the sweet drink of the vine, but was unable to see the fields of beauty. He could hear the sounds of the marketplace, but was unable to see the hustle and bustle of commerce there. One afternoon, the blind man, sitting in his normal spot to beg for what little he could, heard of a man named Jesus. He could smell the gathering crowds around him and even sense that someone of great valor was in his presence. He heard him speak of his blinded condition, and in shame, he bowed his head. Then out of nowhere, he felt a very strong touch on both of his blinded eyes. There was a sensation of mud, which he had typically only felt between his toes, gripping the earth as he was in a beggarly position every day of his life. But now, that mud had been applied to his face. And then he heard a voice as strong as the touch which he had just felt. And the voice said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the Bible teaches that he indeed went to that pool and he went under the water and he came up and he was able to see. The eyes which were once dark were for the very first time full of light. And Jesus, following this, continues to describe for us who the great I am truly is as he says with a commanding and a very confident tone in John 9 and verse 5. He says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the eyes which were blinded by birth were holding the man back from viewing the glorious creation of God. The physically blinded eyes, however, were only an earthly picture of man's spiritually blinded eyes. The physical ailment of blindness kept this man from seeing the light of God's creation. The spiritual ailment of blindness keeps a man from seeing the light of God, the creator. But when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, our eyes are not opened up by the mud, but our eyes are indeed opened up by the blood. And Jesus says, I am that I am. Come to me and your hunger will be satisfied. Come to me and your blindness will be turned to sight. I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world. If your eyes have been opened, there is reason for you to be thankful. But you know, sheep are very skittish animals, to say the least. Y'all have heard of sheep before, haven't you? They're often scared of their own shadow. Uh, they live lives of insecurity. Uh, really, they're absolutely helpless. They can't fend off any attack of a wolf or a fox. In fact, if they fall over on their backs, they can't even get back up without some assistance. The blood rushes from their legs. They're incapable of getting back up. They're known as cast sheep. They're in need of security, which cannot be provided by another sheep, but they can only be provided by a shepherd. 
You know, the shepherd, however, he calms the nervous, anxious, worried heart of the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep and even provides them with security. In fact, at the end of the evening, once they have finished their meal, oftentimes the shepherd will begin to gather sticks and thorns and thistles, and he will create a fence to place the sheep in for the night. However, the shepherd doesn't then leave the sheep and go off in his own way and leave them. Instead of making, uh, instead rather, he actually makes a door to confine the sheep within the pen which he has created out of thorns and thistles. That door, however, is not made of thorns and thistles. That door is made up of the shepherd's body himself. He lays down where the door should be. No intruder can get into the sheep unless he steps over the body of the shepherd. And when the sheep see the shepherd acting as the door of their gate, a great sense of peace floods their worried hearts. And for the first time, they can lay down with perfect calm. And you know, Scripture describes you and I as sheep. Like sheep, we're skittish too. We're extremely insecure. We don't have the ability to protect ourselves from the great wolf who is the devil. Nor can we keep ourselves free from the stain of sin. Sin is always knocking and crouching at the doorway of our hearts. And our hearts naturally worry. Our hearts naturally become anxious and they fret over the same things a sheep frets over. We can't find security in relationships with other sheep. If we try to do that, we only durable our worry and our anxiety. And here again, this earthly picture of sheep and a shepherd and a door is here to let us know who the great I am truly is. Jesus shares with us in John chapter 10 and verse 7 saying this, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So when you and I take our eyes off of our worries, take our eyes off of our anxieties, off of our fears, off of our insecurities, and we look to the good shepherd, we will find that he is the door who holds us in perfect comfort, perfect peace, safety, and security, all because of his glorious protection as the great I am. So he cares for his sheep. He cares for you. Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus also says, I am the good shepherd. Some of you have worried hearts this morning. Relax, Jesus is the door. Some of you have come into church and like a cast sheep, you have fallen over in sin. And as you study cast sheep, you'll find that whenever they are on their back for a period of time, all the blood rushes out of their legs. And so they're unable to stand back up. The only way that they can be put back aright is if the shepherd comes over, picks up the sheep, massages the legs, and then stands him back upright. And some of you have come into God's house this morning, and you are far from the Lord. Perhaps you're a follower of Jesus, but you know you have stumbled over, and for some reason you can't get yourself back up. I need you to know this morning, you can't get yourself back up, but the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd, and he will come right to where you are. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord has the ability to pick up the cast follower and stand them back upright in his name and for his glory. He is the good shepherd. And for that, we ought to give him praise. It ought to remind us to always be thankful for who he is and for what he's done. But you know, there was another scene. The tables were turned over. The chairs were thrown into the corners of a makeshift home while the wailing and mourning could be heard for miles. This is very customary of Jewish tradition when a loved one has passed away. They would for days mourn the passing and the house was strewn about to keep anyone from experiencing comfort. 
All of the chairs in the home would be turned over so that no one could sit down. It was a sign of respect for the dead to weep and to wail. Picture for a moment her tears as they trickle down her face and fall to the dirt floor of a puddle of pain. And it becomes visible to everyone who sees. And then the sisters begin to ask themselves, where in the world is he? Why is he not here? What is his problem? We sent word for him four days ago. Why has he not come? Does he not care about us? Is he not concerned with one of his great friends? And amidst the chatter, the footprints of the great I Am were finally upon the morning town. The great man Lazarus had been dead for four days. But as Jesus walked into the town, the Bible teaches that she jumped up from her sobbing and she ran to the Lord Jesus. And with a sense of disappointment mixed with a little anger, she said, if you had just been here, and in my mind I see her pounding the chest of Jesus, if you had just been here, he would not have died. Jesus said, Martha, your brother will rise again. And with a far-off look in her eyes and a vacant anticipation, she says, I know, Lord, he'll be part of the resurrection in the last day. And again, this death had only become an earthly picture to once again explain to us who the great I am of the book of Exodus truly is. He stuns her for a brief moment with the words in John chapter 11 and verse 25 saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then with a very strong and stern voice, the Lord Jesus looks over to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. Very important, by the way, he calls him by the name Lazarus. Had he not said Lazarus and just looked to the tombs and said, come forth, they'd all come. So he says, Lazarus, come forth. And everybody's jaw begins to drop in disbelief as they see Lazarus hopping out of the grave. And their disbelief was quickly erased by excitement as they unwrapped Lazarus and he was alive. Now, Jesus used this incident on earth to declare to you and I that he has the ability to give life and life eternal. Scripture teaches us that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But when we hear the voice of Jesus Christ call us out of the grave of our own sin, we come forth in belief. We then are born again to a brand new life. This eternal life is also uh, found only in the great I am that I am. And some of you may remember that occasion when you were in a church service or perhaps somebody visited your home or maybe even a mother or father sat down with you and began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. They explained to you very clearly how you were born as a sinner and you were a sinner by choice. And if you held on to your sin, you'd be separated from God forever. And all of us deserve death and hell because of our sin. And we are dead in our trespasses and sin. From God's perspective, when we are born, we are dead to him. But through the gospel being proclaimed, through the gospel being shared, the Lord has the supernatural ability to make that which once was dead come alive. So when you begin to hear the gospel message, do you remember that? When you were maybe in a church or maybe you're at home, I don't know where you were, but for the first time you saw it clearly. For the first time you understood that Jesus Christ came to the earth and he lived a sinless life on your behalf. Jesus Christ went to the cross and there on the cross he died the death that you deserve. 
And then you notice three days later, Jesus got up from the dead. And because of what Christ has done on your behalf to pay for the penalty of your sins, you heard that message, your eyes were illumined, and your heart began to race as you responded in faith to the gospel message. And God, through the gospel, took what once was dead, touched it, and made it come alive. Jesus has come and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And whenever you come to faith in the Lord Jesus, you come alive. Jesus radically changes your heart and your life. And because now you are alive to God, you are guaranteed the promise that you will grow in your faith. That's why whenever we share the gospel with individuals, we want to make sure they know the Lord personally. And some of them will point back to some baptism that they went through or some church that they joined. That is not what saves you. The gospel of Christ saves you. There must be a time in your life where the gospel hits you square in the face and the heart and caused you to come alive to God. And when you're genuinely converted, there will be a transformation in your life. The Bible says those whom God has justified, he also has glorified. He also promises in the New Testament that you will be sanctified. You will grow in your faith. So if you're a grown man here today, and this ain't in the notes, I'm just throwing this out, but if you're a grown man here today and you're like, well, I was baptized, I'm good to go. No, you're not. You've got to be touched by the gospel. Jesus Christ must be Lord of your heart. Know him as resurrection and life. I went a little further on that point than I planned. Y'all all right? But they uh, were filled with emotion on one occasion. The great doom was only hours away. The great doom. What would they do? I mean, how were they to go on? Jesus had just told them he was going to where God the Father is. Jesus even told them that he was headed up to heaven. But he says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be so troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way, this is wild, Jesus says, and you know the way where I am going. Well, this statement totally puzzled the disciple Thomas. He wasn't sure how Jesus was going to get to God the Father, nor was he confident that he would be able to go there himself. Then he finally uh, muttered the question, which was echoing in his own mind, when he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? And then this set the scene for Jesus' sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John. As Jesus says in John 14 and 6, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. Jesus says, you want to know the great I am of the Old Testament? You come to me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You come to me and you will be with God forever. Those of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know God personally. Not because you got it going on or because you're good, but because God is gracious. And he counted you righteous and brought you into his presence and this should cause all of us to be filled with thanksgiving for who he is. He's the great I am that I am. Do you know what? That branch over there is never going to produce any fruit. That's what the gardener said. Pretty matter-of-factly in fact. See, it isn't connected to the vine. The vine is the life source. If the branch isn't connected to the vine, 
the life source, then that branch is dead. It'll wither away. It'll never produce any fruit. And he snatched the dead branch away from the vineyard and added it to his pile. Oh, but check this one out. See this one over here? See this branch? He picks it up. Just look at all that fruit, man. That's amazing. It can barely stay off the ground. The branch is so heavy. And then he makes the statement. This branch is obviously connected to the vine. He picks the fruit off. He begins to share it with all of those who were with him. The fruit of the vine was bursting with flavor. As the group was enjoying the fruit, he pruned the branch so that it could produce more fruit. And then he says, next season, check this out, we're going to come back out here, and this crop is going to be even greater. You just wait and see. You'll be amazed at the amount of fruit that one branch will produce. And this earthly picture once again gives us a glimpse of the heavenly truth concerning the great I am. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And here we find the purpose of a branch is to bear fruit. And as such, it is vital that the branch remain in the vine. And the purpose of the follower of Jesus Christ is to bear fruit. And as such, it is vital that you and I abide in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true vine. And all of us, I'm confident, as believers, desire to make an impact for God's kingdom. We want to leave influence for others that they might come to know Christ. We want to leave an indelible mark upon the earth. But we can only do this by abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus living within us by the power of the Holy Spirit that brings forth the fruit that makes the difference. And when you and I bear fruit in our lives, that is a natural, maybe I should say supernatural byproduct of a thankful heart unto God. So when the Lord looks at your life, does he look at it and say, good night, look at all of that fruit? Is he pleased? Is your life a walking uh, emblem of thanksgiving to what God has done for you? Bearing fruit. Is the way we give thanks unto the Lord. So this morning I would say, according to the Bible, that if your soul is hungry, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you are blinded in the darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you are insecure, anxious, worried about life, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And if you're in the grips of fear over death, you just don't have a clue what's going to happen to you after you die, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And if you want to know God and you want to know the way to God, Jesus is like, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to God. If you don't come by Jesus, you ain't coming. But Jesus wants you. He calls you. He invites you. And then if you want to live a life of purpose, Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Throughout the Gospel of John, what we have witnessed is the fact that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has come to the earth. And through this Gospel, he is shouting to everyone, remember the I Am of the Old Testament? That's me. 
It's awesome, too, as you look through John's gospel, and I know I did that pretty quick. Seven times Jesus uses I am statements. I am, I am, I am, I am. Seven times throughout the entirety of the scripture, the number seven is a number of completion and perfection. So I find it divinely interesting that the great I am chose to deliver who he was in Christ with seven I am statements. So who is the great I am? I mean, who is he? He is, listen, completely and perfectly all you need. If you were saved, that would have been a good place for y'all to say amen. I mean, my fear is that we don't really believe that. Who's the great I am? He is completely and perfectly all you need. And for this, we live lives of thanksgiving to the Lord. And for this, we have opportunity to minister in our community and bear fruit. In a few moments, I'm going to share with you what that fruit's going to look like. It comes in that box and an opportunity for you to go to a home this afternoon and to share with someone a meal for Thanksgiving who would not otherwise have one if Concord didn't step up. Then also an opportunity for you to reach out with the love of Christ and hopefully God by his grace. And that's just wild when you think about it. Through the gospel, he just touches blind people and makes them see. Well, I'm fired up about it. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts even now, and we'll give you glory for it.